Take your Bible, take your copy of the Word of God, and go to 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy. Actually, go to two places this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm just going to go ahead and turn it around. I titled this message this morning, The Mystery of Iniquity. And we'll get to that a little bit more in that, here in that title here this morning. But I want you to go first to, hold your places. There. We're going to go back and forth at these two places. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the first place, or the second place. We're going to start in 2 Thessalonians. Just a few pages apart in your Bible there, back to the left there, 2 Thessalonians. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, another a letter from Paul, he writes this. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, neither by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showeth himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was... Yet with you I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness, and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Go over to Second Timothy chapter four, or First Timothy rather. First uh, Timothy chapter four says, "Now the Spirit." Actually, go up to verse sixteen. The Bible says, "And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness." There in chapter three, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meat, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, we love you yesterday and we'll love you tomorrow, Lord. We are here as your people, Lord, gathered in your name. And Lord, we've sung to you, Lord, we've, Lord, we've talked about or we've heard about the blessed assurance this morning. We've heard about the peace that's in our souls this morning. That it is well with us, Lord. And it is only well because you've made so. You've given us peace that passes all understanding, Lord. For us who are Christians, to us who are believers, us who are gathered together this morning, Lord. Lord, it is comforting to know that we serve a risen Savior. 
Lord, a Savior who changes not. Lord, in the world that keeps on changing. Lord, I know it's always changed, but it seems lately that things just move rapidly to and fro. And Lord, I'm thankful. I am very thankful that we serve a God who doesn't change, who always loves us, who always forgives us, who always leads us, who always takes us back, and always returns to us when we return to you, Lord. We're thankful for that, Lord. Meet with us this morning as we've prayed multiple times, Lord. We've seasoned this morning with prayer. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you receive our, our gift of worship this morning, our gift of prayer, Lord, to you, Lord. Help us to be all in for you this morning, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we talked about, if you remember, uh, about the mystery of godliness and how that mystery is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, in 2 Thessalonians, as we've read already this morning, we see that the mystery of iniquity will be revealed in the son of perdition. John would later call him the Antichrist. So I've entitled this message, as you see here, the message uh, or the mystery of iniquity. But unlike last week, we're not going to emphasize on the person revealed in, this, in the mystery this morning. I will not preach an entire sermon about the son of perdition. Not going to do it. But we are here to preach Jesus. And we are going to see some things here that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about some warnings that we need to take heed to, that we need to uh, listen to. All the scripture here is profitable for, for reproof, for doctrine, to help us live a victorious life. And some of these warnings uh, that we'll see will become more and more evident as we draw nearer and nearer to the return of Christ. Now, it goes without saying that we're closer today than we were yesterday. But the Bible talks about how Jesus told the Pharisees, he even called them hypocrites. You can discern the skies when the snow's coming or when the rain's coming, but you can't discern the times. We as Christians, as God's called out people here, can discern the times because we have the word of God. And these things are going to draw or, or, or become more and more clear as the, as the closer we get. But notice again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 again, Paul begins with, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken. I like that passage. In other words, we are not to be moved by current events. Our faith and hope is in Jesus Christ. Times change, people change, but He does not. He does not. His promises do not change. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. We are not to be shaken. We are not to be troubled. And verse uh, number three truly puts it into perspective for us and that there shall be a falling away. It gives us some warnings here. A falling away. Not, that word falling away, there's two words rather, falling away, are actually one word in the Greek. And it's where we get the word apostasy. No surprise there. Uh, meaning a great departure from the faith, which is how I think the Lord linked me back into 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, some commentators suggest this should be understood as a taking away, as in all present day believers are taken away to be with Christ at what we call the rapture. Others say this falling away is the result of the complete removal of the true believers from this earth, also referred to as the rapture. Either way, the outcome is the same. There's going to be a time of great apostasy. Before the son of perdition is revealed and before he comes to power. However, verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians tells us, this is kind of exciting to me, that there is a specific person holding back or hindering the rise and the revealing of the wicked one. That's in verse 8. Look at verse uh, 7 again. 
back in first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, for the mystery of iniquity, actually go back up to verse, uh, verse 6, and, know, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed, he being the Antichrist or the son of perdition here in context, might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Notice those personal pronouns, the, the, the personal pronoun he, he who now letteth until he be taken out of the way. Now, a little bit of study, you'll find that there's some conjecture on this identity, and I won't go into all of that. Second, uh, a second century theologian by the name of Tertullian, which I think got it right on a number of things, uh, but he believed this individual to be, to be the Roman emperor. He was the one that was keeping uh, the son of perdition at bay. And if you look back up at verse number six, the what withholdeth, uh, and you compare that to the he who now withholdeth, you see, one is a gender neutral. I'm not getting into grammar too much this morning, but one's a gender neutral and one's a personal pronoun. So he thought that, general, that gender neutral reference was to the empire itself, the Roman Empire. Well, I think he's wrong. But I wanted to point out also that the word let, there in your, in your Bibles there, is an old English word to hold back. And it's translated withhold there in verse 6, the same, the same word. So I think very clearly here, he who now letteth is the Holy Spirit of God. He who now letteth is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the restrainer of the wickedness in this world. Now think of that for a moment. Think of the wickedness in this world and then realize that the Holy Spirit is restraining the wickedness in this world. Wow. Wow. And while the Holy Spirit of God currently hinders the rise and the revealing of the, the wicked one, praise God, this mission of restraining will, all, will not always be. He will be taken out of the way at the rapture. You see, the presence of local New Testament churches, believe it or not, is beneficial to the world. While we're here, there's still hope for the lost. And just like God would not send His ultimate judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah until He removed the believer, He removed Lot out. So just like that, when the Lord returns, He's going to pull His people out. And then that judgment will come. In John 16, 8, Jesus said that one of the specific jobs of the Holy Spirit is that He will reprove the world of sin. He is to convict us of sin, believers and non-believers, to draw us to Christ. But that mission of holding the enemy at bay, if you will, I hope you're with me this morning, is not going to last forever. There's going to be a time when he's going, to let, he's going to let Him go all out so He can show that His power is greater than His and many other reasons behind that. His, his mission of restraining will not last forever. This mission of coming to Christ with ease in the church age will not last forever. Now, we'll cover this and more in our upcoming study of the end times as we look at Bible doctrines, my little commercial there for Sunday evenings. But this morning, I want you to see something that connects these two passages in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Timothy 4. Notice again, verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Already. That's, that's in Paul's time. That's in our time. You see, the son of perdition may not be revealed yet, but Satan is already at work and has been. And then back over in 1 Timothy, if you want to go back there, God has some specific things to say about these times where the mystery of iniquity, iniquity doth already work. But I want to put a parenthesis in here. Before we get to that, I want to highlight one simple truth this morning before we get into 
1 Timothy 4, which is the, the crux of our passage this morning, the core. I want to point out that Paul is writing to Timothy. Okay, common sense, right? We can see that in the name of the letter. But Timothy is a believer. Paul is writing to a believer. All the things he wrote about the return of the Lord, all the things he wrote about the rise of the son of perdition and the revealing of that iniquity and how it waxes worse and worse was written to believers. In fact, every letter Paul wrote was written to believers. The simple truth I want to highlight this morning is that today's sermon is to believers. It's to believers. You see, like we talked about last week, we are God's people. We are God's people. The church is a called out assembly of blood bought, born again believers. So the preaching done from this pulpit, the preaching to, to any gathering of Christians is for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what the church is. We are called out together as believers. Now, the preaching that you do beyond the scope of this gathering outside these walls is for the salvation of souls. First Corinthians 121, the Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So in summary, believers come together to worship Jesus Christ through singing and preaching and praying. And the byproduct is the edifying of the body of Christ. And then this edified body is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here this morning. And if you are here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have a personal Savior in Jesus, friend, you are yet in your sin. You are yet in your sin. And there's only one way to God. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, to be saved is simple. God made one simple, clear way through His Son. It's not through works. It's not through any kind of agenda or any kind of, any kind of religion. It's a relationship. Christianity is not man ascending to God. It's God descending in the person of Jesus Christ. And to be saved is simple. You must recognize your wretchedness and your need for redemption before God. You must realize that Christ died to pay your sin, not just the sins of the whole world. It's not enough to believe that Christ died and rose again for the sins of the world. You must take it personally. He did. We must receive Him personally. You must acknowledge Him as your divine Redeemer and receive Him as your personal Savior. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's crystal clear, friends pretty clear how to get saved. And so with the gospel message in the air and fresh in our hearts and minds, let's read again what the Holy Spirit has to say to us in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. That word expressly means distinctly. It means clearly. In other words, what Paul is about to write is not vague. It's not up for discussion. It's crystal clear. The Spirit speaketh expressly. And we see first that there is a departure from the faith. A departure from the faith. It doesn't say the world gets wicked and more wicked and more wicked, although that says in other passages, this is a departure from this. A departure from the faith. In latter times, some shall depart from the faith and they're going to be drawn by seducing spirits and... Doctrines of devils. Listen, folks, this warning was to Timothy. 
to help him recognize who was who in that first century church. Who's sitting in the crowds there? Who he's talking about? Those professing Christians. There's going to come a time, young Timothy, that they're going to walk away. You know, one of the definitions for the word seducing is to purposely mislead. The word used for spirit, of course, means spirit, but it's with a focus of mental disposition. As in a person has a misleading demeanor, a deceiver. In other words, God is telling us that in the latter time, some will depart from being a professing Christian and yield to those who have a disposition bent on misleading Christians. Their departure and their deception, I think, go hand in hand. And these seducing spirits, they don't only lead them away from God and lead them away from the church, they lead them to the doctrines of devils. And we can easily infer from the text that their deception is a result of their departure. Like the roaring lion that he is, Satan devours. Who does he devour? Does he attack the crowd first? No. He attacks the one that's not in the crowd. The one that is led away by misleading, seducing spirits. That's who he goes after. Now, don't get me wrong. He would love to destroy everybody in here. And he still has his hooks in places in the churches today. But the ones outside of the fold are easy prey. Friends, don't be a Christian casualty. So few people truly live for God. So few. So few stay pure for God. So few think it's worthwhile to give their whole life to God. So few don't hesitate to follow His commands. So few. So few. Don't be lured away by empty promises or political agendas. Listen, don't be a Christian who reads 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, five years or ten years from now, and realize that it's talking about you. Don't be that Christian. You know, the devil knows full well the power of a faithful, committed Christian. Don't depart from the faith. Use these strange times that we live in to deepen our faith and be that committed Christian. The devil fears. What does the devil say? When, when we resist him with the power of God, what does the devil do? He runs. He flees. He flees. So don't run to the world. Run to God. Be that committed Christian. Why? Because if we can reduce, this is something that hit me between the eyes as I was putting this together. If we can reduce the definition of evangelism to mere persuasion, then we can also conclude that the children of the devil are more evangelistic than the children of God. They get more than we do. Be that faithful Christian because you are greatly needed. And those who do depart from the faith take scores of people with them. Be that committed Christian, because after their departure and their own yielding to deception, they seek to lead others down the same path that they were down. Continuing on our text, 1 Timothy 4 states again that some shall depart from the faith, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So first comes the departure, then the deception. We already spoke about that, the deception no doubt came because of the departure. So they departed from the faith, and then we see deception through false doctrine. When these individuals are completely entangled in Satan's web, they seek to deceive others with lies and hypocrisy. 
Listen, this is not just a narrative I'm talking. I'm not just going to read through this text. I want to preach to you this morning what Paul was trying to convey to Timothy, what the Holy Spirit wants the church today to know. We have an enemy. And the fact that these folks are aligned in hypocrisy, I think it's directly connected to the mystery of iniquity already working among us. You see, these apostate Christians, if you will, have not only departed from the faith, but they deceive others by speaking lies so that they too will depart from the faith. You know, sin is attractive, and people in sin want more people to be in sin. What's the old saying? Misery loves company. It's never so true when it comes to sin. You know, the phrase speaking lies is one word in the Greek, and it's pseudo-logos. Pseudo-logos. It means false or fake spoken words. Now, the root word for logos, no surprise, is from the same word John used to define Jesus when he wrote that the word was made flesh. Now, we must not take this out of context. Pseudo logos in the Greek simply means speaking lies. But the idea is that they are masquerading falsehoods as truth. And who is truth? Jesus Christ. I think this is bigger than just a few nominal Christians leaving the church. This, point, this is pointing to a societal shift of values where the truth is greatly minimized. In Isaiah 59, 14, the Bible states that judgment is turned away backward and justice, justice standeth afar off for truth has fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. Friends, does this sound familiar? There are professing Christians today leading people away by the masses. And as wicked as that is, they do so in hypocrisy. In other words, deep down inside, they know they're wrong in hypocrisy. Paul would later write in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Being deceived. Again, some of these folks are those who departed from the faith. I can't get over that. Departed. Why? Why would you depart from something so nice? These folks used to go to church. They used to love the preaching. They used to love the singing. They used to pray regularly. They used to read their Bibles. They used to be all in. Or at least it seemed that way. And somewhere along the line, as time went on, things started to change with this, these individuals. Yes, they heard the warnings of evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse, but they didn't. Heed to those warnings. They allowed themselves to be deceived. They began to give in a little here, a little there. Give up the truth of the Bible here. Give up some truths here. Take some scripture out of context here and there. Not apply this text to me and apply this text because I like that one better. Slowly and slowly, they let go of their faith. Bible reading was probably the first victim. They probably stopped reading the scriptures. And then they began to be absent at the gathering of God's people. Maybe they were, they, maybe they were all in, every, as they used to stay back in, the, back in the 80s and 90s, three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, Wednesday evening, three to thrive. Maybe they were all in at one time, and now they just reduced to Sunday mornings. And then once a month, and then Christers, as they say, Christmas and Easter. And then you ask them, then it's, it's been a while. And then you ask them again, oh, I can't remember the last time I was with God's people. Their prayer life is like a roller coaster at best. And at worst, they pray only when they need something from God. Before too long, the Bible says their conscience is seared.
with a hot iron, similar to cattle branding. The mark of sin is burned into the depths of who they are. Their conscience is rendered insensitive not only to the wicked dangers of sin, but also to the leading convictions of the Holy Spirit, if they are a believer. They went from being a professing believer to a false teacher, from a nominal Christian to being all in for the wrong cause. It's not, it's not difficult being all in for sin. Not difficult at all. It's just letting yourself go. But try being all in for God. There is the challenge. And there is the challenge that we should have. We should be all in. But these individuals let their calloused heart prevent them from ever recognizing the error of their ways. And they continued ignorantly to teach and to preach things they don't even know about. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, They were desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They didn't even know what they're talking about. But yet they're teaching as if they're the SMEs, the subject matter experts. So they departed from the faith. They deceived others through false doctrine. And then continuing on, look at the passage there. They spoke lies and hypocrisy in verse 2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then they forbade to marry, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, meats with, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. That denial of family. I had denial of family and food. It was very clearly they're commanding to abstain from meats. And we'll talk just a little bit about that. But I want to point out that this is right out of the text. This is not just me making up things, trying to alliterate. I hope you can see it. I do love alliteration. But, <laughs> but the Bible states that they continued in their false doctrine by forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. Next month, again, Brother Axe will be teaching on biblical marriage on Sunday evenings. You don't want to miss another, another commercial there. I think I've hit all three now. <laughs> And for hundreds of years, this passage here, many Protestant theologians use this passage as a proof text against Catholic, uh, the oath of celibacy for the priesthood. And I think that's probably applicable for the time at hand. But given the attacks we have seen on biblical marriage today, in Christendom, a broader application is, very, is, very, is, is required. You see, the word used for forbid means to forbid, of course, but to prevent, hinder, Withstand, refuse, or deny. And we are seeing a great denial, are we not, for biblical marriage or against biblical marriage in our society. And some Christians are even promoting unscriptural marriage. Listen, I'm not, I am not here to hate. I do not hate anyone, but the Bible clearly defines marriage as between a man and a woman. There's no wiggle room there. It's, it's very clear. And I realize that many societies around the world have, have redefined marriage to just about anything you want it to mean. And I get that. I really do. This is the world in which we live in. And it doesn't change our command to reach them with the gospel. It doesn't change our command to love them regardless. Sin is sin to God. But biblical marriage is biblical marriage. And the Spirit ex uh, speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith and forbid others from marrying. Friends, we are in these times. We are in these times. I won't take the time to go through the commanding again of, of abstaining from meats, but I will say this about it. If you want to be a vegetarian, Brother Billy, I know you can hear me back there. <laughs> Have at it. Have at it. 
If you like to eat bacon and eggs every morning and with a side order of a big steak, <laughs> have at it. This verse is not condoning or prohibiting either one of them. It's more likely a reference to some Jews trying to convince new Christians to, um, not, uh, to, to not eat unclean meat like pork and stuff like that. And there is another study that links ve vegetarianism, or the, a better way to put that is the rest restraining from animal foods to evolutionary religions, religions that are based on humanistic evolution because we all come from, why would you eat somebody that you're, that kind of thing. But our quick takeaway is that God created all meat here to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God, every created thing is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And I think verse 5 here gives us a key broader than just eating things, a key to sanctification. A principle of sanctification, if you will. Now, it's not the main thrust of our sermon this morning, but I want to point out to you that the Bible says, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So what is this principle? If a thing is commanded or sanctioned in the word of God and you season it with prayer, the Bible says it's sanctified. Sanctified. Isn't that great? We follow the word of God. We pray to the Lord of God. We have a continued communication with God and we can live a sanctified life. Very clear. Very difficult, but very clear. You know, we began this sermon with the Spirit speaking in verse 1. And now we have the Scripture sanctifying in verse 5. So let's, let's kind of put all these things together. Look at verse number 6. He says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast Attained. In other words, even though some will depart from the faith, even so some will deceive others and deny biblical truth, biblical marriage and abstaining from meats and so forth, there is still a way to be a good minister. Even in this world, we must make a determination to fortify, determine to build up others, determine to be a source of encouragement. Listen, we are not to be pessimists. So don't be a pessimist, maybe a realist, maybe even an optimist. Let's just try that for a while. Why? Because there's so much for us to really be optimistic about, so much for us to be thankful for. And I got to be honest, as I was putting this passage together, I really like this verse. I really like this verse. Look at, the, look at it again. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. See, I like clear cut guidance. If I do this, I'm going to be a good minister. Amen. Right? I'm going to do that. I'm at least good right now. So we'll see when I get off this pulpit. We'll see how that goes. But I believe the Lord directed me to this passage, but I like it very much. I think this passage is equivalent to the well done thou good and faithful servant there in Matthew 25. But that's when the master returns. This is now. This is now. Do this and you'll be a good minister. Now that word minister doesn't mean preacher. It's actually the same word that we get the word deacon. It's translated as deacon in chapter 3. It means to serve. That means this, this is all of us. This is all of us. We can be good service of Jesus Christ when we remind others about the truths found in the Word of God. To nourish means to form the mind. It means to educate. And notice that by nourishing others, Timothy himself would be nourished. And there is a principle that every teacher or preacher knows. Granted, there should be a base foundation of knowledge for a preacher. He shouldn't be a novice. 
And we all should study to show ourselves approved unto God. But teaching others helps you get a hold of those truths even better. Not just from a pulpit, but in your life as a father or a mother, as a, as a peer, teaching those and living those things out. Being a good minister of Jesus Christ helps you strengthen your own foundations in the Bible. So every Christian should put the brethren in remembrance. Every Christian should help keep fellow Christians focused on Christ by reminding them of the Bible truths that are in there. This is our calling for today, for this time that we live in, strengthen each other. We are to be good servants of Jesus Christ. We must keep in mind these things and help others keep them in mind. So that not only we ourselves are nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, but others are as well. Listen, there is a lot of cutthroat in this world today. There's even cutthroat within churches going back and forth. I mean, back in the 80s, we argued over carpet color. Bring that back. I'd rather open over, argue over carpet color than the things that we're arguing over today. But as Christians, we should just be forgiving and encouraging to each other. When most of the world and even some other churches may be just standing fast in place and waiting for the Lord's return, many still need to be encouraged. We still need to be encouraged. Many still have never heard the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand me. We should be looking for that blessed hope, but we should be busy while we're looking for that blessed hope. We should not be, the church is not meant to be, in a defensive posture. It is not time to crumble or hold what we got, if you will. It's a time to build. It's a time to fortify. It's a time to advance. And it's always been a time to advance. The local church is not a safe house for Christians. It's a forward operating base in enemy territory. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. That's why we are here. You know, referring to the luxuries, usually associated with the complacency that goes along with comfortable Christians resting on their perceived laurels of yesteryear, a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd wrote back in the 1800s. He said that some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Well, times have changed, Mr. Studd, much since the 1880s. But, and most of us actually live within the sound of a Christmas bell or a church bell over here. But we also live within a yard of hell. We need to tell others. There's people right outside here that's greater than the distance from me to the, where Bobby's sitting at. There's in this sphere, there's probably a lost person that needs to hear the truth of the gospel. I presume it's probably always been this way. My point is this, as we kind of come to an end here. Determine to encourage the brethren. Encourage each other. We need each other. The church needs each other. God, this is not just fun to come around. I hope you've been blessed by the preaching of the Word of God, but we need this. We need each other. Determined to encourage the brethren today. Remind the Christian of the truths of God today. You know, the future for the church is as bright as the Lord's return. And it is as sure as the tomb is empty. Take heed of the naysayers, yes. There will be some who depart from the faith to deceive many and deny truth. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Dig in. Dig in. The more they hit the head of a nail, the deeper it drives into the foundation. Be that Christian determined to build, determined to fortify, because the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And every day we move closer to the revealing of the wicked one. Every day. But we also know the mystery of godliness.
And that mystery is revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have him. He's here and he's here. We have much to be thankful for. Fortify, stand tall. The mystery of iniquity is here, but we have a greater calling and a greater purpose and a greater person in our corner. Praise God. Let's pray.